We are on Ksubis Nun Gimel Amabez 53b, about two-thirds of the way down on the page by the two dots. The two dots begins with a simon, basically uh, a simon, a mnemonic for uh, different types of cases that we will be discussing. Uh, so we'll be discussing a, a variety of unique, interesting circumstances and trying to figure out would in those in those circumstances does either the wife or the daughter, depending on the case, do they receive uh, sustenance from uh, also who or from the brothers or from the from the husband? Um, so we'll see different cases today. We will discuss two of those cases as we conclude Nungimel Bay's fifty three B. So Rav Sheshes had they asked from Rav Sheshes. So this does connect uh, to the previous uh, topic from the last class, uh, but we're discussing a case here of a mima'enes. Who is a mima'enes? Uh, so essentially, uh, in the last class, we discussed uh, that in a case where, uh, again, we're discussing the daughter, in a case where the uh, father passes away, uh, and the Yerusha, the inheritance, is given over to her brothers, to the sons. Uh, so then they have an obligation to support her. For how long do they have this obligation to support her? Uh, so we mentioned, what's clear is that once she reaches the age where she can make her own money, where she can work, so then they can stop supporting her at that point in time. Uh, alternatively, if she is fully married, and therefore the husband has an obligation to support her, so then... Uh, that also is very clear that uh, the husband now supports her and she's not being supported by the, uh, by the brothers. There was a big question about what happens if she's not fully married. She's halakhically engaged. So then do we say that the brothers are obligated to continue to support her? In a case of a regular engagement, if let's say the father is alive, right? the case that we're discussing is where the father is no longer alive, the father is not the one who's supporting her. Right now we're discussing a case where the brothers have an obligation to support her after the father passed away. But in a regular case where the father's alive, so then certainly the father would have an obligation to support his daughter while she is engaged. The question is, that we discussed in the last class, was a case of an engagement where the father passed away, the brothers are now supporting her, she gets engaged. So now there's a question, do the brothers have to support her at this stage? Why would this be different than when the father is alive? This would be different because maybe the husband has more mercy in this case because... He knows that uh, the options are for her to go uh, begging from door to door potentially. And because he doesn't want that, it's really an embarrassment for him to see that his, uh, his wife, they're engaged, but uh, at this time of engagement uh, has the possibility, even just the possibility of going door to door. He doesn't want that. So maybe he'll take on that responsibility. Somebody has to take on the responsibility of the question of the Gemara, the Machlokas, the dispute that we saw in the Gemara was who takes on that responsibility? Is it the uh, the brothers, or is it the husband? And the, again, at, at the stage of engagement, what we're discussing now uh, is the case of Mema'enes. What is Mema'enes? Mema'enes is essentially uh, a girl under the age of twelve. We discussed this for those of you that remember, and uh, towards the end of Masechas Yevamos, the tractate of Yevamos. Um, that uh, we have a case of Mema'enes where uh, a girl under the age of 12, let's say her father passes away. Uh, so uh, on a biblical level, the father has the right to marry off his daughter under the age of 12, um, on a biblical level. On a rabbinic level, the brothers have the ability to marry, the brothers or the mother 
have the ability to marry off her daughter, their daughter, on a, on a rabbinic, only on a rabbinic level. It's viewed as a rabbinic marriage, um, and she has to consent to it. She has to agree to it, and we do all this uh, to her benefit, uh, especially uh, back in the day where when people got married at a much younger age, so it wasn't uh, abnormal to get married at 13, 14. So for her to get married at the age of 10, 9, 10, at an, uh, especially when her father passed away, so there's a, a harder chance of getting married. It's not as easy, um, uh, especially in, let's say, a society where the father was generally in charge of uh, arranging the marriage. So we do it to the, her benefit to make sure that uh, she finds a suitable husband. Uh, so she gets married. So because it's a rabbinic marriage, she has the ability to always back... It's, it's a complete marriage. It's not an engagement. It's a complete marriage on a rabbinic level. On a rabbinic level, it's a complete marriage. It's not a biblical marriage. So the rabbis also said she has the ability to back out. And that ability to back out automatically, in general, in a regular marriage, the wife cannot just back out. She needs a divorce document and the husband has to give her a divorce document. In a case of a rabbinic marriage of a girl under the age of 12, it's only when she's under the age of 12, so... She could back out at any point in time, and that's referred to as mian. Um, and so, therefore, the question becomes: If she does mian, so we have this girl who's under the age of twelve. She is, gets fully married, meaning not engaged, but fully married on a rabbinic level, and then she does mian. She retracts uh, and she undoes the marriage. And, and uh, there's a lot of discussion on the undoing of the marriage. It probably, most probably, works retroactively. It's retroactively, it uh, undoes the marriage. It's like they were never married. We view it halakhically like they were never married. Um, so now she returns back. She's still under the age of 12. She returns back to her family. So now at this stage, do the brothers have a requirement and obligation to support her? Well, you know, there's a few things to consider here. Because number one, there was a point, there was a stage, there was a point in time where she was being supported not by the brothers, but by uh, this man who at, during that time was her husband. It ended up being that uh, she undid the whole marriage. So... Uh, from a halakhic perspective, they were never married, but there was a certain point in time where she was being supported by this person, who was her husband at the time. Uh, so now, when it goes back to when she go, returns back to her brothers, so uh, because she did mian, so then do the brothers have an obligation to support her or not? So says the Gemara. Amar Lur They asked this to Rav Sheshis. Rav Sheshis responded back. Well, Tenisua, we have the following uh, brisa. A case here. It's not exactly clear what the case is. This is uh, heavily debated amongst the earlier commentators, amongst the Rishonim, what exactly is the case here. Uh, but we will stick with Rashi. Rashi is the classic interpreter, uh, commentator on the page. And he explains, He's referring to a case here of, let's say she was halakhically engaged. Talking about a girl who is halakhically engaged, um, so uh, she's engaged, and then the husband uh, dies, or let's say she gets divorced. They get divorced um, again. This is all during the point in time of engagement, and um, it's a case where the father is no longer alive. Right, the father's no longer alive. She's being supported by her brothers. Um, it was during the time of engagement. So we mentioned earlier, during the time of engagement is a dispute whether or not she's being supported by her brothers. But even after that, after that time, uh, she then, the, the marriage ends, that engagement ends either through a divorce or uh, her husband passes away, she's a widow, or 
Shomeris Yavam Bebeis Avia, or uh, she was married, um, the husband died. Let's say they're not married, but they were engaged, the husband died, but she, the husband has a brother, and so there's this potential for Yibam to take place. In all three of these cases, the first opinion says she is still supported by the brothers. She's supported by the brothers. Uh, she is supported by the brothers. Okay. Rabbi Huda says if she's still with uh, the house of her father with the brothers, she's supported by them. If not, then not. So the Gemara doesn't know what exactly is the difference between the first opinion and Rabbi Huda. What's the difference between the different, these different opinions? So the Gemara asks Rabbi Huda, It seems like they're the same opinion. So the Gemara explains, Elalav. Essentially, the Gemara answers this question, or Sheshis answers this question about Mian by saying, no, the case of Mian is the case that the Tanakhama, the first opinion in Rabbi Huda, are exactly arguing about. The first opinion says that she still has to be supported by uh, the brothers, that uh, even though uh, she did Mian, in all these cases, when... Um, when she's engaged and then they get divorced and she's engaged and the husband dies. Uh, so in all these cases, she returns back to her brothers and she has to be supported by the brothers. Similarly, if she does Mion, if she does Mion um, and she was a girl under the age of 12 and she uh, said that she wants to back out of this marriage, she returns back to her brothers and they continue to have to support her. Rabbi Huda says, no, uh, they do not have to support her. Um, there is no obligation to support her. Why not? Why would there be no obligation? Why would this be worse? So either we, one could say that uh, this was a full marriage. At least at a certain point in time, it was a full marriage. Uh, in all the other cases, there was only an engagement. But this was, uh, even though it was on a rabbinic level, but it was a, it was a complete nisuin. It was a complete marriage. Uh, alternatively, alternatively, perhaps one could explain that mion, the, the way of the separation, might impact things. Because in the other cases, it wasn't her fault. Uh, she got divorced, perhaps against her will. It's possible to get divorced against her will. Or the husband died. Now, those are cases which uh, are not in her control. Mion, the concept of Mion, of backing out of a marriage, that is within her control. That is not just within her control, it's uh, completely within her control. It's her, her say. Nobody else has a say. So because she's the one who initiated this, perhaps we would say, like Rabbi Huda, that uh, she's backing out of this marriage, that she's causing this. So therefore, she no longer has to be supported by the brothers. That was her, her decision. This is her decision, potentially. Potentially, that's a way of explaining the position of Rabbi Huda, the Tanakama, we follow the first position, says, no, it doesn't matter. We follow this position. Uh, in, in the end of the day, the law is that she is supported by the brothers. Why? Because then the day, she returns back to her brothers um, and we retroactively view the marriage as though as it doesn't uh, doesn't exist because she did Mion. Again, this was all rabbinic marriage and she backed out while she was still under the age of 12. Um, so she backed out of it entirely. So once she backs out of it, so then it's like she was never married, and that's why we follow this position of the Tanakama, the first position that says that when she returns back uh, to her brothers, when she returns back home, so then they do have to support her. Obviously, this is all going according to the position that says that when they're, she's in... Um, sorry. Yeah, so they do have to support her. Okay, that's the end of that question. Next question. We'll only discuss this question, then we'll stop. By Rish Lakish. There's a whole there's a list of other questions, which we'll get to in next week's class. By Rishlakish. Rishlakish asked the following question. Let's say you have the following case. You have a couple. There's a couple. Let's say um, uh, Rachel, Yaakov and Rachel. Yaakov and Rachel. They are married. And Yaakov dies without any children. She di- he dies without any children. So Rachel now marries um, Ruvain. 
So Rachel now marries Ruvain to do Yibam because she's doing Yibam. It's Yaakov's brother is Ruvain. Rachel marries Ruvain. They do Yibam. So at this stage, before they even have a child, Rish Lakish will discuss a case where they have a child. But even before we get there, at this stage, they did Yibam. Yibam, to a certain degree, is a continuation of that first marriage. Even from a halachic, not just from a conceptual standpoint, but even from a halachic standpoint. How so? Uh, because the ksuba, what ksuba does she receive? So the rule is, is that she receives her, the, the, the wife receives her money of the ksuba from the estate of the original husband. Not from the second husband, but from the original husband. Uh, they take the money from the estate of the original husband and when she, either when the, the, the marriage ends, whether through divorce or through the death of the second husband, she receives her ksuba from the estate of the first husband. Uh, it's viewed as a continuation. The only time where she would receive money from the, from the second husband is if, let's say, it's a situation where the first husband has nothing to leave over. He's poor. Uh, and when he passed away, he had nothing. Uh, so then he, she's able to collect from the second husband. But other than that, it's from the first husband. So that's in a case with regards to her. But let's say, so fine, so they did Yibam, Rachel, and, and um, Ruvain are now married after doing Yibam, and they have a child. They have a daughter. They have a daughter. So the question that Rish Lakish has is, this daughter, Yesh Lamazonos or En Lamazonos? So now it's a big question. Does she receive, let's say after Ruvain passes away, the second husband passes away, so the entire estate goes to the brothers, goes to her brothers. Do they have to support her with, um, uh, with the estate of the second husband, uh, of the second husband? Because uh, she, the mother, is not being supported by the by the uh, estate of the uh, second husband. She's being she's being uh, she's being paid by the estate of the first husband, um, right? In a situation of where the first husband. Uh, has something, has has an estate, uh, has something left over. She's supported by the first husband. So the question is, what about her daughter? Does her daughter, is she supported by the first husband or not? So, Where it says, we're not sure. We're not sure she received. Let's say it's talking about a case. There's different ways, different permutations of these cases. And Tosis discusses it. The classic commentator on the page discusses it. But let's say it's a case where the wife is being supported at, from the ksuba by her original husband, right? The original husband who then passed away, and then she did Yibam, but by that original husband from his estate. Um, so maybe, even if he has uh, something from the estate, maybe there's room to say that the daughter should not receive from that estate. Why? Because in the ksuba, what was written from the first husband is any daughters that he has. Well, this is not his biological daughter. This is not his biological daughter. So since it's not his biological daughter, we might say... That uh, she should not, uh, she should not uh, get, she should not receive exuba from anybody, not from the first husband, and not from the uh, from the second husband, because right the the, the brother-in-law, we, it shouldn't be from the brother-in-law because um, it's not from his exuba, it's not from his estate, it's from the first husband's estate. Well, the first husband never made such a promise; it's not his own daughter, so maybe she doesn't receive anything at all because of the technicality of the law. She shouldn't receive anything at all. Or perhaps one may make the argument that no, that the rule was that if uh, by the wife that if she doesn't receive any, pay, uh, if the first husband doesn't have anything, so then she receives her ksuba from the second husband. Uh, so maybe in this case, even though the first husband had an estate which he, uh, which he's, he's actually um, providing for his, uh, he passed away. But for for the wife who then married 
who did Yibam, and then the, the, that brother passed away. And so the, from that estate of the first husband, uh, that estate is, uh, is providing sustenance for um, the wife. Um, it's true that he has, he has assets, that he has an estate, but not with regards to the daughter. The daughter cannot receive anything. Once the daughter can't receive anything, one could make the argument that the, then the second husband has to support her. Um, we won't just say that she isn't supported at all, but just like if there was absolutely nothing, the wife would have been supported by the second husband, so so do over here. With regards to the daughter, it's as if the first husband has nothing. Even though the first husband really has something, it's as if the first husband has nothing uh, because she's not getting anything out of it. Uh, and so therefore, that maybe, the, maybe the second husband would have to provide sustenance. So that is an open question. The Gemara answers Teku. It's unresolved. It's an open question as to whether or not uh, the second husband would have to uh, support and provide sustenance for the daughter in such a scenario. Uh, again, where uh, there's a child, there's a girl from the Yibam, from that Yibam relationship, uh, because it's really based off the Ksuba. The first husband, so that's, that's an open question. Tosis discusses uh, other ways to, to analyze this situation, but uh, we won't discuss it at this point in time. Okay, that concludes Nun Gimel Base 53b, and in next week's class we will continue on with Nun Dalar Manalef, and Ksiva Chasim Tova, everyone should have a Shana Tova and a healthy and happy new year.